follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Welcome to the Four Corners Podcast Dark Match. Uh, we haven't had one of these in a while, but I have a special guest with me today. Um, if you've ever posted on a variety of message boards for the last 20 years, you might have encountered him. This is uh, Dave the Thread Killer. How's it going? So uh, we're just we're just gonna we're just gonna chill and talk some wrestling today, um, mostly about Dave and like being a fan because. I think I think I've known him message board wise since about 2002 because I think I first encountered you on the Smart Marks. Right, right. And yeah. I, and as far as like more recently, like PWO would be the place that I think I interact the most with you. Yeah, that's pretty much the only message board that I really post that now as well. I mean, I've got accounts on a couple of the other ones, but I, I don't really. Like I go to PWO pretty much like multiple times a day Were just to check it out. DVDVR guy. I was uh, way back when. Uh, like three a couple boards ago. Yeah, a couple things happened that I kind of I was really really into MMA at one point, and the MMA folder over there was really active. But I found a lot of the guys that were heavily involved over there were kind of jerks. Like they would treat people pretty badly, and uh, and I also found that the like the flame wars and stuff that would happen in the wrestling folders and stuff. It just kind of uh, I just I found that there wasn't like one of the things I like about PWO now is that there's a a general sense of almost camaraderie with the posters. Like everybody kind of gets along, and even if you don't agree. It's not like there's no maliciousness in it, but and I found over at the at the Death Valley board, I found some of the guys there were a little bit. Uh, it was a little intense, and but, uh, the older you get, the more. Yeah. You know, I just I don't need that. And I think with PWO, like PWO is a little snooty, but people are self aware of that, and you can poke at them and they'll at least <laughs> laugh at their snootiness. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of those kind of. Um, there's advantages and disadvantages. The advantages of being snooty is that you're going to find guys there that know a ton of stuff, like way more than like there's like guys there that know a million times more about pro wrestling than I'll ever know. Uh, but unfortunately that tends to to kind of scare away a lot of the people that don't know as much, you know, especially younger fans. Like I think that that board is exclusively uh, like a lot of older guys. Now, I mean, I'm probably, I'm pretty sure I'm one of the oldest ones there because I'm, I'm in my fifties at this point, but I'm a, but, I'm a uh, I think young like younger fans on there and I'm 40. So I think, um, yeah, it's exactly. So I feel bad for the kids that are like coming on there. Kids, I sound like an old man now, but I'm a younger person coming onto that board. They're going to kind of be overwhelmed and not want to contribute to the conversation. I mean, over the years I've actually gotten, 
uh, personal messages from guys at PWO saying, you know, thanks for including me in the conversation or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, I hope that I don't do or say anything on that board to, uh, to kind of make people feel like their opinion is not valid. Cause I mean, uh, you know, if you don't, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. If you don't know about a different topic or a certain, you know, organization or, or history of something, then obviously you can't contribute to the conversation. But I, I don't want anybody to feel like it's not for not an inclusive uh, good. I, I don't want anybody to feel it's not a community that they can be a part of. But I, uh, I think that I think sometimes PWO, I think you're right. I, I think it, I think PWO and I say this with all the love in my heart. And I say this is a joke, but yeah. the thing you have to understand with, if you're going to post on PWO, if you've ever touched a boob in your life, you're already behind the curve at PWO and just accept it. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. Because the thing, the thing is me, like... I, I touched a lot and now I don't, so... <laughs> yeah, it's just... It's just with PWO, there's there's conversations about like French wrestling in the 40s. Like just accept that... Um, you're not going to know as much as most of the other posters and just pick up some cool ideas on what you want to watch next. And that's the thing. I mean, I wouldn't be the fan that I am now if I hadn't have gone into a lot of those places and I didn't know squat uh, about wrestling. Like I knew what I'd grown up on, but I didn't know about any of the stuff that I, and so I got it all from listening to reading other people and listening to what they said and what they thought was good and stuff. So you're right. I mean, I know like, yeah, that's a good example. Like I know there's a couple threads devoted to people talking about, you know, French catch wrestling and stuff. And I'm not going to lie. I haven't really gone down that rabbit hole myself, but it's nice to know that it's there, but or uh, be like, Hey, good helmet. Like, yeah, can I have that? Uh, some Jerry, people can I have that like 300 Blu-ray <laughs> disc, Jerry Lawler comp you have like, I think yeah. I, I kid. Yeah, boy. If I had discs. money, boy. <laughs> I think he sent me. Um, if I had the, I have a couple of his comps. Yeah, I have his '80s Lucha one. Uh, yeah. I think. I have. Do you know? Do you know Bob Barnett? Yeah. Have you heard of Bob Barnett? Yeah. He he was uh, Vampiro's manager, and he was a lawyer, and he had his own site for a while, and he had a uh, he had master tapes of '80s Lucha stuff. And he had like a freaking, I don't know, like 40 disc set that he used to sell. And I bought that off him and I still have that. Um, and yeah, um, but I, I bought a couple of Good Helmets comps like his um, like his Heart Foundation one from 97. Like stuff that I saw when it happened, but I wanted my own copy. Uh, but if I had the money, good Lord, I could probably put his kids through college like this. Like the, I would love to get the Midnight Express one or a couple of the other comps that he's done. But I just don't have the, I think I have the, don't have the money Express or the time. <laughs> I think I have the Midnight Express one. I, I, I've been meaning to get it. I probably still will if he's still selling it. At some point, I'll break down and get it. I tend to buy a lot from guys that do like, um, that'll sell you the ISOs for cheaper. Because you can get like 100 blank yeah, DVDs yeah, for like 20 yeah. bucks now. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I would have, like I did that a few years ago. I wanted to get my hands on a like really high quality copy of the uh, dynamite kid tiger mask matches. So I, I did that, but now I don't have the, uh, the technological capability to actually burn the DVDs at the moment. So I'm going to have to upgrade before I can get back into that. Yeah, but I have um... something that I would consider. I know actually one of the, go ahead. I said, I have like, I have like 90 discs of global that needs burned a disc and I'm just lazy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, one of the guys just today was offering to, to hook me up with the uh, Jim Cornette, Bobby Heenan shoot interviews. 
uh, if I could burn it myself. And I was like, oh man, I love that, but I just I can't I can't do it right now. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get those by other means. <laughs> I'm I'm an impatient person, so I um I want to I want to dive into a little PWO business before we get a little deeper into you. So uh, quite a controversial sure. character. I would say more. How long would you say Jim Cornette's been controversial online? Just the last couple years, I'd say. That he's kind of started to wear um, out his welcome. I would say definitely. Yeah, I think you can kind of draw, uh, in my opinion, because um, at one point I was actually quite a pretty. I don't want to use. I don't want to make it sound like I was a devoted fan because I I'm, I've never been a devoted fan, but I followed him closely, and I think you can kind of. The farther he got out of actively being involved in the business, the more controversial he got. Like, you know, he the more he cut ties with being involved in the business, the more he felt free to speak his mind and kind of express his opinion of what he really thought. So I'd say probably right around the time he quit working for, for TNA, like after he got fired the last time from TNA, I think that's kind of when he really started to shoot his mouth off and burn his bridges because I think he, he realized at that point he didn't really want to work in the business anymore actively he wanted to be more of a critic than an actual participant so that's when he started shooting his yap off <laughs> you know what, what bothers me with him and we'll get into i i want to get a little deeper in but where, where i started to lose it with him is it's just like you know i love when you talk like the historical stuff and stuff you're actually passionate about and you deep dive into like your booking of ovw but like yeah all you do is you bitch every week about aew yep i couldn't agree with you more i couldn't agree with you more i actually used to listen to the uh the the drive-through religiously i never missed it and uh the experience i would kind of be hit and miss i'd see what the what the what the 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 topic was for that week and if it was something i wanted to hear i would listen to it but as soon as he got into uh into doing the AEW reviews right around the time of the first the first day big AEW pay-per-view the one where he did that whole shtick with the uh where there was the battle royal and he started, you know, he said some comments about Sunny Kiss that people didn't like and stuff. And then his downloads apparently like tripled after that because there was so much controversy. And then Brian Last, his co-host, figured out, well, hey, listen, the more outrageous shit Cornette says about AEW, the higher our downloads get. The higher our downloads get, the more money we can charge the advertisers. And it basically became a big gimmick. And it just it just bores the hell out of me. Like, I don't want to hear what he thinks about politics because i'm not american i don't live in the states and you know god knows i don't want to hear anybody you can find people to complain about trump pretty much anywhere i don't watch wrestling or listen to podcasts to hear about that i I want to hear about wrestling and so it was just bitching about trump and then it was just non-stop bitching about AEW and non-stop bitching about kenny and uh and it's just got really boring like his podcast that's the worst thing as far as i'm concerned you can do just about whatever you want but just don't bore me and and he bores the hell out of me now like it's just the same old shit every week just you could you could tell I could sit here and tell you what's on his podcast without even listening to it. He's gonna rant about Republicans and Trump for the first twenty minutes. He's gonna pitch. He's gonna you know uh, pimp his his store and his his collectibles business. He'll bitch about AEW. He'll he'll bitch about NXT, and then that'll be it. And it's just the same thing. You know, lather, rinse, repeat. And I'm just like I don't need that anymore. I'll I'll there's highlights on YouTube, the clips. So if I see he's talking about something in particular, like this past week uh, he uh, talked about Butch Reed. And he'd worked with Butch Reed in Mid-South, and I wanted to hear it, so it was like a 20-minute clip. That's great, but I don't, I don't listen to his podcast anymore because life is too short to well, the, spend your time. The thing that drives me nuts is especially like especially like if you watch something on NXT, well, NXT or AEW, like 
I get yeah. his complaints about NXT a little more, but like with AEW, you watch something and you enjoy it, and you're like, oh, you know, Cornette's gonna find some way to like shit on this for like <laughs> nonsensical reasons, like, yeah, like because yeah. like I understand people like Kenny Omega is not everyone's cup of tea. Like I particularly tend to like him, yeah, and but. But the way he always had, like, he doesn't give him any credit whatsoever for anything. And it's like, you know, you're being dishonest because there's workers that I particularly loathe that had been in things that I'll admit they were good in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, and it's like. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. Because, yeah. and like, I mean, like, even Nia Jax, who we bash on the regular show all the time, like, I'll straight up yeah. tell you. Her match with Asuka at that NXT takeover where Asuka just, like, soccer kicks her head off, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean... mean that's, a, that's a great thing about professional wrestling. Even if there's some... It's a, it's a cooperative effort. So, even if one of the participants is somebody that you don't particularly like, they're still capable of being involved in something good. It's yeah. not an actual, legit athletic competition. So, I mean, you know, I, I, we had spoken, you know, off air about, uh, I mean, I don't like Kenny Omega. I'll be straight up. I, I don't, I don't find him entertaining and I don't enjoy his matches, but one of the best matches I saw last year was that match with him and, and Hangman Page against the Bucks. And I don't like the Bucks either. And, but they're still capable of doing good stuff. And, uh, he just, like I said, it's boring. Like with, with Cornetti, just the same thing every week. And to me, it's like, if you don't like it, don't watch it, you know, shut up, talk about stuff that. That, that's actually interesting, but he's not stupid either. He knows that the, his current fan base, they don't want to hear about Mid-South or, or World, the time that he worked in World Class or, or Jim Crockett promotions. They want to hear him bash, you know, Orange Cassidy. And it's just like, ugh. So I'm, I'm off him, you know. I mean, like I said, it's, it's funny because I ended up kind of being the de facto Jim Cornette defender at Pro Wrestling Only, which was ridiculous because I don't even really like the guy all that much, but... I agree with some of his opinions. I agree with some of his opinions about Kenny. I agree with some of his opinions about Young Bucks. I agree with some of his opinions about modern wrestling. Uh, and I don't think all of his opinions are invalid just because he's quite obviously an asshole. But, you know, be that as it may, <laughs> I, I ended up, for a long time, I would end up uh, defending the guy or, or kind of arguing his side of stuff. But uh, I'm pretty much the. You know, through with that. I listened to the drive through for a while longer because a lot of that stuff didn't bleed in. Like, he was much more yeah. disciplined, but I found it started to bleed in there more because they started, fil- I'm, I'm air quoting right now, yeah. filtering <laughs> in questions about that stuff. But I oh, also yeah. got tired of, like, and I mean, this is something I don't think he can control. I think Brian Lass could do better. But like when someone asks a question, it's like, why are you asking that? He's literally answered this question on like five other episodes. Do you not listen? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that for the for the drive through, Brian Lass has to bear a large amount of the responsibility because he's he's the one that picks the questions. And it's either one of two things and neither one of them are acceptable. Either Brian Lass isn't screening the questions. He's just grabbing a bunch of random questions or more likely is that he's deliberately picking questions that he knows are going to piss off Cornette and make him rant. So it's like, you know, when the number one question is, Oh, do you think, you know, freaking Kenny Omega belongs in the hall of fame or whatever? What do you think he's going to say? Like, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's going to go mental. I mean, I had actually sent uh, Cornette a couple questions because he has such a vast, historical knowledge and i'm from toronto and there's a really storied history of of the toronto territory that a lot of it hasn't been told uh like going right back to the beginning of pro wrestling and there's been nwa world title changes here and stuff and i had asked a question 
uh, about the history of Toronto wrestling, and he, and, he, and he never answered. Now, I know he gets thousands and thousands of questions, but then I thought about, of course he didn't answer. Nobody's going to want to hear about that anymore. They want to hear about... You know what, what his latest nickname for Kenny. So it's like they don't they don't care anymore about the, the drive through and the, the experience are essentially the same podcast now, as far as I'm concerned. You know it's so. you know what's funny is you talk about Toronto. I'm actually from I'm from Columbus, Ohio, is where I reside, and right. um, it's also it's also quietly like a very historically significant city as far as like pro wrestling goes because um, and if you actually read Death of the Territories, Columbus comes up. Oh yeah, I've read it. Because yeah, I've read um, it. for those not for those that haven't um, read that or know, so Columbus was different than a lot of big cities in the '70s because we were wired for cable really yeah. early. So um, we had the Sheik's boring ass. You had the Sheik too, probably didn't you? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Big so time. so like if you were to talk to my dad, who knew a little bit about wrestling, like so when when my dad grew up. You know, his reference to wrestling is like the Sheik and Bobo Brazil. Yep, yep. But that was dying out in the late 70s, and Columbus got wired, so Georgia Championship Wrestling came here. Which is amazing when you think of it, yeah. yeah. And they did some angle where they did write-ins, and this is actually where, where Bill Watts is like, it, it really like kind of a savvy person, is they did this angle for write-ins to see if they were getting a lot of viewership from other cities because they were going you know they were on in other markets and they got yep. a lot of mail from columbus and columbus is actually like the first out-of-state show georgia championship wrestling ran yeah it actually i'd actually believe it or not i remember that from the uh from the that's mentioned in the book and i think cornette has actually mentioned that as well yeah 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 it, it was amazing to me that i didn't realize until i'd heard that that because i know the sheik he ran detroit and he ran Toronto for quite some time, but I know that I later on found out that he that he ran Ohio, and there was kind of almost like a territorial dispute about Ohio. So uh, we kind of yeah. they kind they kind of got stuck with the Sheik after because there's <laughs> there's a different promotion. There's a guy named Al Half that ran wrestling here from like the 40s, 50s, and 60s, but then it kind of fell off, and then the yeah. Sheik kind of came in. And then he killed it. I'm sure if he did there, what he did to Toronto. <laughs> I think we just got. I think we just got the crappy Detroit product. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Cause I like, like I like the Sheik and Abdul the butcher. Like I, like the, like I, I like that kind of wrestling for what it is, but the problem is, is you can't do it every week. You can't do it even every month. And that's the Sheik had a formula and he would, you know, drive that into the ground, like the same thing over and over again. And it just got to the point where he killed Toronto dead. Like he killed Toronto totally dead because he did the same freaking thing every every month at the gardens. He would have a different guy come in and fight, and he would he would throw a fireball or jab the guy with a pencil, and he'd get disqualified. And that would be the same thing. And then finally they brought Andre, and this was right after Andre had started to get really big in Montreal, and everybody figured that Andre would finally be the guy to beat the Sheik, but the Sheik was nuts, and he wouldn't put anybody over. And so the Andre came in, and they had a fight, and the gardens was sold out. But then uh, the Sheik, or Andre, won by disqualification. And then after that, he pretty much killed the killed Toronto dead. It wasn't until Crockett came up here and started running Toronto that it kind of bounced back. But uh, so, so that was um. So I'm trying to remember this because I think I've I've I think on the do you remember did you ever see that wrestling gold DVD set that Cornette put out? Sure, with Dave Meltzer did the commentary on a few yeah, of the things. Yeah, because they yeah. were showing some of those Toronto matches, and he said like. They, he did well in Toronto for a while because you have like a high Hindu population and a lot of what the yep. Sheik did was antagonizing the 
the Hindu population oh, yeah, of Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing was too that he uh Toronto has a really big uh Italian uh, population as well and uh, there was a lot of Italian baby faces that the the sheik would kind of go through and a lot of people think like Bruno actually got his got his start up here before he went down to uh now this is of course I'm old but I'm not this old. So this is nothing I witnessed personally. But um yeah, Bruno wrestled in Toronto quite a bit before he went down to work for uh, Vince McMahon Sr. And, uh, yeah, the Sheik was kind of a master of the – even if you look at the history of the Toronto ter- Territory in general, it's, it's, it's very much similar to New York in that the, uh, the ethnic booking, you know what I mean? So, yeah, they would do antagonistic stuff with the uh, with the foreign heels and then the Italian baby faces and that kind of that kind of stuff. The Sheik went to the nines though because I've I've seen a lot of old footage cuz he'd put like the prayer rug down and he'd like oh, yeah. they'd have to like he'd have to like you know point to Mecca and like do his prayers yeah. and Oh yeah, it drove the he got heat, man. I'll tell you, he drove the fans nuts up here when he'd do that kind of stuff. Yeah. He'd walk cuz on the in the gardens they had that ramp uh, I don't know if you ever saw matches from Maple Leaf Gardens, but they didn't have an aisleway. They had a ramp, so he'd, he'd walk down the ramp to the ring, and then he'd put his little mat down and do his prayers, and they're they're ready to about ready to kill him. <laughs> so, so um, so you're a bit older than I am. So how did how did and and obviously different regions because so so for my story, I really didn't get in until later. I got in about like early, like very early into '97, and yeah. what really drew me in was like the Luchadors and WCW cool so so what like what were what like how did you become a fan and like what were like some of your early memories of like like did you go to shows quick did you watch it on tv like oh yeah yeah um well i mean i'm i'm like i said i'm in my 50s so i mean i uh i toronto is an interesting town to grow up in because like i said the chic ran it when i was a kid but i didn't really watch because uh, my, my, my family, like my dad or none of my brothers, they weren't fans. And then, uh, But then um, Crockett took over Toronto and was running Toronto for a while. And so I was aware of it. I had friends that watched it. Uh, before he became famous as the Iron Sheik, uh, the, uh, the Iron Sheik was up here. And they didn't call him the Iron Sheik for two reasons. Number one, because the Sheik was still coming in and out once in a while. And they didn't want to have two Sheiks. Uh, but also, he hadn't really fully embraced the Iron Sheik gimmick. Uh, they called him uh, the Great Hossein, or the Hossein the Arab, and uh, he was the Canadian champion. And he would feud with like Dino Bravo or uh, Angelo Mosca, who was like a Canadian football star. Ugh, and he Angelo also worked. Mosca. Yeah, he was huge up here though as a heel because he was really unpopular in Toronto uh, because he had injured another player in the CFL. Uh, during the uh, the Grey Cup game, and so he had a ton of heat. And then when when Hossein the Arab won the Canadian Championship, uh, Mosca turned face, and he had a huge feud with uh, with the Iron Sheik uh, at the it was Hossein the Arab at the time, and they sold out the gardens a bunch. And so I was aware of it as a kid because I had friends that uh, that were watching, but it wasn't really until eighty three, eighty four that I got really heavily into it. I saw the uh, one of the first angles I saw was. Uh, Bob Backlund was uh, was doing some sort of fitness demonstration, and I'm just saying this from memory as a kid. I, don't, I haven't seen it recently, but he was doing some sort of fitness demonstration, and and the Iron Sheik came out, and I was like, hey, that's Hussein the Arab, <laughs> and they were and and he had these clubs. The Iron Sheik had these clubs, and he was like, he would do oh, this exercise clubs. where, he, yeah, he'd swing them over his head, and uh, and he challenged Backlund to do it. And if I remember correctly, and I might be conflating a couple different angles in my head but he challenged Backlund to do it and then Backlund was doing it and the Sheik attacked him 
And I was like just enthralled. Like I was 12, 13 years old. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Was, um, was that the angle that hurt Backlund to like lose the title? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It led right into that, like, 84 when Hogan ended up coming in. So I actually, like, literally, you can kind of, my fandom kind of coincided with the birth of uh, right around the same time that McMahon took over the Toronto Territory. He bought, like, Stampede from uh, from the Hart family, and he, and he took over Toronto from, from Crockett. He made that agreement with the Tunney family, which ran Toronto. And, uh, and so when he took over Toronto, uh, we were, we would get like flooded, we got flooded with WWF stuff. And that's right when I first became a fan. So all I got to see for like the first, I want to say like five years of my fandom, maybe less was WWF stuff. Like our Toronto was a huge WWF town. And, uh, like one of the, I've mentioned this at PWO, but one of the things like, uh, it was so big here. They ran a house show at our uh, at the CNE, the, the National Exhibition in Toronto, of when after uh, you remember the angle where Paul Orndorff turned on Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Uh, they fought at at the CNE, and it actually broke the world attendance record. Was that, that was the, a house show? Was that the big event? Was that in yeah? Toronto? They re- they released it as the big event later on on Coliseum Video, but it was just at the time it was just a house show. Like they weren't doing pay per views and stuff. And I was at that. I was in the eleventh row. Oh, that's uh, cool. It was really cool. I mean, it was freezing cold, and uh, the only matches I have vivid memories of is Jake the Snake and uh, and and Ricky Steamboat. They had a pretty good match there, and then uh, Hogan fought Orndorff, which of course I remember. And the machines were there, and I was on the aisle, so Andre walked like right past me, and I was just a kid, and I was like, it was amazing. Like you, you thought you could tell how big he was on TV, but just having him walk right past you was. Uh, it was pretty nuts. So I really got into wrestling in the in the early 80s and the mid-80s during the Hulkamania boom. And at the time, I thought it was awesome. And it's funny because I went back and I watched some of the stuff that I loved at the time later. And I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> this is horrible. I'll never forget one of the cards I went to at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. Uh, it was right after uh, uh, Vince had taken over Stampede. So he brought uh, Jim Neidhart in. And Bret Hart, and he was teaming them up. Like Bret wasn't working as Cowboy Bret Hart anymore, but he was still like they were calling him Bret Hart with two T's, and he had like real short hair. And Jimmy Hart wasn't their manager. Like he had just started teaming up Neidhart and Bret Hart, and he, they fought uh, Tony Atlas and Ivan Putsky. And I was I was there. I was a kid, and I thought that was like just the greatest thing I'd ever seen. I went to school and was telling my buddies, "You should see this tag match I saw. It was so awesome." And the guys were all like huge muscle men and stuff and then a few years ago i saw the match on youtube and i'm like this is the worst thing i've ever seen in my life this is horrible how did i like this at the time but as a kid you know you don't know so it's it just it was great so i was just hardcore into the uh into the wwf stuff because that's all we were getting we didn't get jim crockett promotions up here anymore once vince took over like we had no wcw or nwa tv up here uh, we didn't get any of that stuff, so all I got for the first few years was nothing but WWF, and that's all I knew. So for the first few years as a kid, that was it for me. Boy, I was that was into it. And then later, when I got older, I I discovered alternatives. Right? Yeah. Is there is there anything is there anything you've gone back like other promotions you've watched from like the eighties, and you're like, man, if only I'd had that on TV like every week. I'll tell you, I had a buddy in high school. Like wrestling was just so huge in the '80s, uh, kind of like it was in the '90s with the with the Monday Night War. It was cool, so kids at school liked it. Like it was everybody was into wrestling at school. Like all the guys were into it, so it was not. It was you know, it was, you, everybody had wrestling T-shirts and everybody had posters and stuff. It was very popular. 
Like the gardens literally would sell out every three weeks, which is nuts when you think about it. Yeah, but that, uh, is, that is crazy. But it was huge because I go back now and I look at the history of all those shows that they ran at the gardens, and I I was at a ton of them. Like I can't even tell you how many WWF house shows I went to, and uh, and they were just garbage. But uh, I ran into a guy at school, and he was into wrestling way more than I was, and his parents had a satellite dish. Now we're talking like a mid '80s satellite dish, so it took up like their whole backyard. Oh yeah, those things are huge. <laughs> It was massive. Uh, I went over to his house, and he, and and he got everything. He got uh, mid south. He got uh, w. Uh, he got like the world class stuff from Texas, and he got Crockett. And he he taped everything. Like he made videotapes. Uh, so he lent me a ton of his tapes. And as soon as I saw uh, Crockett Promotions, what they were doing in the eighties, I was like, it was like getting hit with a brick. I was like, this is a million times better. <laughs> I was like, this is night and day. And yeah, I, I was. Cause like, I wish I could see more. Yeah, because like, cause I've gone back and I've watched stuff kind of close together with Crockett and um, WWF. And I get why WWF kind of won in the end. Yeah. Just because of the depth of their roster. And um, sure. for things that make the TV boring to watch now, their more yeah. conservative approach let them save bigger matches. But like, just like on a quality standpoint, like... You know, it's even in the mid '80s. It's like really cartoon stuff, and oh. then, but then you flip over to Crockett and Flair's talking about how he's like gonna screw like all the women in like the front row and. Oh yeah, and there's blood, and there's violence, and there's fireballs, and there's just all yeah. the stuff that, as a kid, like a 13, 14 year old kid, that's what you want to see. You don't want to see freaking ice cream bars and a dog and all this other stuff. That, I mean, it, one of the. Yeah, one of the few things that, that, that Bruce Pritchard has said that actually makes a lot of sense is that when I when I heard him talk about it was, when I was a kid, the WWF, the TV show on Saturday mornings, the whole point of it was to get you to go to the house shows, right? Like, they never had competitive matches on TV. It was nothing but squashes and promos, and it was to get you to go to the house shows. They were a touring company, so their whole job was to pimp the show, and then you would buy tickets like to go see the show every three weeks, and that was just a repeating cycle, whereas now... It's obviously it's a TV product, and they don't even care about the live events anymore. So, I, I understood like why the TV was so crappy, but it, it's just like I said, I saw I saw Crockett, I saw um, World Class, especially World Class. I love World Class when I saw it for the first time, and uh, and that's when I really realized when I finally started to realize, oh, hang on a minute, there's a lot more out there than what I'm seeing. Uh, and the other thing was that we started to get TV from Montreal. And there was a territory in Montreal where, like, Dino Bravo and Rick Martel and the Rougeau brothers and all sorts of guys like that, like Dr. D. David Schultz and Abdullah the Butcher and Bruiser Brody were there. And, I, and they would show that on Sunday afternoons. And then I kind of discovered that. And I'm like, hang on a minute. And that was really dark and violent, too. And so I was like, this is this is much better. <laughs> so as soon as I found that there was actual alternatives to the WWF, I turned on the WWF pretty quickly. Like, I enjoyed it for what it was, but then as soon as I got, like, it's funny. Like, I, I got to the point where WrestleMania six was at the Sky Dome, and I didn't even go. Like, I didn't care at that point. Like, I was too much into other stuff. Like, I still loved wrestling, but at that point, I was, like, all my buddies went, and they're like, but Hogan's fighting the Warrior. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, uh, there's too much other good stuff out there, so. You know, that's funny. You know what's funny is that's actually what turned my opinion around on Hogan from thinking he was, like, a terrible wrestler in, like, the yeah. mid 2000s was... I got like these tapes of like a bunch of WWF house shows and um, their on demand service started to come out that would show house shows, uh, the 24 seven thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I started watching all those 
And I'm like, wow, these matches are really terrible. But hey, that Hogan match was actually pretty fun. Oh, it was for what it was, they were good. Like he he did the same thing like we were talking about with the Sheik. Like it was really like especially at the gardens, they would do like quite frequently they would have a match with like let's use Killer Khan or Kamala as an example. They'd have the first match as the main event, and then Hogan would either like the like Hogan would lose or uh, the, the the heel would lose by disqualification, but he'd come out on top of Hogan. And then it was hilarious because before the intermission or right before the end of the show, they would announce, oh, this match was so controversial that Jack Tunney's already booked a rematch for three weeks from tonight. So, And people would go from the show down to the box office to buy their tickets for the next show. Like, it, actually, they would think, hey, Jack Tunney must be sitting backstage booking these matches based on what just happened. So Hogan would fight Kamala, and Kamala would... would I remember, I saw him fight Kamala in Toronto, and, and Kamala used that big uh, tooth. The, the wizard had that tooth, and he, and he stabbed Hogan with it, and Hogan... So then they're like, next time, it's going to be a cage match. So they come back for a cage match, and then the cage match would happen. And sometimes, if it still drew a lot of money, they'd do something else, like a, whatever. And it would be like, and they just cycle it through. Like I said, it was Kamala, it was it was you know Killer Khan, it was whoever. And and for what they were, like Hogan was really good at what he did. Like nobody could play a crowd like him. It's just I got to the point where I was like, number one, it just kind of bored me. And I, like, I was like, I've seen this a million times, and it was, just wasn't like it. That was more for kids, really, at that point. Like, I was uh, getting into my teen, like, later teen years and stuff, and I didn't really, like, the whole, you know, real American thing and all that. Like, I mean, I even even when Jake was a, was a baby face and stuff, or when he was a heel, I still liked Jake and stuff. Like, I always liked the darker characters, and once I got into more, I got a little older, I just thought, you know, Hogan and all that stuff was a little bit too much goody-two-shoes for me, especially because by then I had seen the Crockett stuff, and I'd seen the Texas stuff, and I'd seen the Montreal stuff, so just I found the WWF kind of kid kid-based, and it just really didn't appeal to me. And then when I would see, like you mentioned Rocco, like they would get somebody that I knew from another territory and bring them in, and they would inevitably make them into a cartoon character. Like they'd bring a freaking mannequin dummy with the with the Road Warriors, or they'd you know call Kerry Von Erich the Texas Tornado, and it's just like, oh man, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't their target audience, right? I think the only one that that really worked with was uh, when they did Mister Perfect. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I think that agree with more. Well. But so like. So we're kind of going through your favorite promotion. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing as you grew disillusioned with wrestling in general is about when ECW started to creep along. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean the best thing when I was a kid, uh, I started reading the after mags. Did you read those or was that past your, am I, am they I dating were, myself They were still here? around a bit. There was, um, yeah. there was one I got mail order that I think was an after mag, but I don't remember what it was called. It wasn't pro wrestling illustrated. I did get there. They had like a big almanac they released once. Yeah. That had yeah. like bios of like all the active guys in the big leagues and title histories, which I really liked. Yeah. I liked it because it was 1998 and um, the internet quite isn't what it is today. So, like, having oh, no. title histories in a nice, concise place yeah. was nice. So, that almanac I got was really nice. But there was some That's little... how I learned the ter- about all the territories, right? I didn't know about all the territories there were until I read the aftermaths. Yeah, and um, I think that really helped a lot of guys because I think in some ways they told stories better than the, the promotions themselves sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I... Uh... 
I, I honestly, like, I learned so much stuff back then. And, I mean, obviously the mag- magazines were in character, but, I mean, I learned so much stuff about what was going on in the different territories and stuff like that from those magazines. And uh, and that's why, I mean, like, when I was, when I, before the Internet was a thing I and I was a kid, I, I used the magazines. And then as soon as I started to kind of get disenchanted with, with the WWF product, I wasn't disenchanted with wrestling, but I was disenchanted with the WWF product because I thought it was too catered to kids. That's right when the internet started up, and you know became a real thing, and that's when I discovered. That's how I discovered ECW, is on the internet. Uh, One Wrestling, which was uh, Bob Ryder's site, uh, was uh, secretly owned. I didn't know it at the time, but it was by Joey Styles, and they used to promote the hell out of uh, out of ECW. And the only the only way you could could get news in the early days was through a handful of sites. Like, four or five sites, believe it or not, of wrestling stuff, and, and one wrestling was one of the main ones, and they used to pimp the hell out of ECW, and that's how I found out about them. Yeah, because Meltzer didn't come online until later. Yeah, much no. later. I mean, it was funny. One of the top sites when I first went online was a guy, uh, he called himself Mikasa, M-I-C-A-S-A, and it, that was his nickname. His name was Mike Samuda, and he had a, a website, which was one of the very first pro wrestling news websites. And all he did was was he had a subscription of the Observer, and he uh, he uh, would like news from the Observer, and he was like one of the top sites because Meltzer wasn't on in the year. Do you ever watch that? This is a weird aside, but have you watched that show um, Silicon Valley? Yeah, I've I've seen it's, some of it. Yeah, there's a guy on that show who was big. His big claim to fame was trying to put the uh, the radio on the internet. <laughs> and uh, one of the funny things was is when Meltzer first came online. He was constantly uh, trying to pimp this this uh, service called IATA, and uh, he wanted to do like his updates and all his new stuff on on like internet radio. That's all he did. So he didn't actually have a site for a while, and and everybody else was ripping off his work. And I think he finally realized like I gotta get bored here because everybody's making a living or everybody's you know stealing my news and and printing it on their sites and stuff like that and that's when Meltzer finally came but at first he wasn't he didn't have much of a presence online at all that when I first started is is um because I know he's still around but he was a lot bigger in the late 90s is that like pretty much what Raja did too was just rip off Meltzer stuff oh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely all those guys like really honestly like even the, the sites that I liked like uh like uh, there was scoops and uh, and oh, uh, and Raja. Four one one wrestling was a little later. Yeah, four one one. Yeah, they, but they all like those guys. I think at one point, and I could be wrong, but I think at one point Meltzer finally started telling these guys like, "Listen, don't me off, and if you're gonna rip me off, at least credit me," because there was a ton of. And the other thing was, I mean, there was those hotlines, right? Like the, the phone in hotlines and stuff. And uh, and guys would would run hotlines and they would like read Meltzer's news stuff and people would call in and pay like X number of dollars a minute or cents a minute to to, to hear Meltzer's news. But uh, like I said, that's how I ended up finding out about ECW. So I was lucky. Yeah, it's because um, I hadn't thought about it in a long time, but four one one wrestling was on my mind a lot the last year because a lot of that original crew from four one one died last year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I myself briefly, very briefly, wrote for them. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it was sad when a couple of those guys, like, yeah, the uh, the original I, owner died, I think. Yeah, and uh, Hyatt died. Hyatt died, of course. Yeah, that was huge for for me. But uh, yeah, the guy, uh, the guy that had been running the uh, 
Larry Zonka, one of the guys that was kind of the driving force behind that site, he did and stuff. So uh, now, when I first came online, four one one wasn't a wasn't a thing. And then uh, there was a, he, the guy that runs four one one or owns it still. His name is uh, Ashish uh, Pabri. He uh, he's the guy that hired me when I worked there. He 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 merged with a different a different site. So there was a bunch of new sites. But to be honest with you, like I said, they were all kind of they were either ripping off Meltzer, they were ripping off Keller. <laughs> yeah. Nobody was generating their own news. They were all basically ripping off the the dirt sheets, right? So. I think I think I think four one one came more in like the ninety nine era, but I think yeah, I think a lot yeah, of people yeah. I think I think where they got some heat early though is I think they were the first really nice looking site. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean they uh, people were still. I mean that's back in the uh, once again dating myself, but that was back time where there was all sorts of theories about how you could actually generate income off the internet i mean there was that big uh that big internet income thing where people thought you could actually you know there were stocks that companies had internet stock and all that and i know that uh one of hyatt's big beefs with uh with with all the sites that he worked for was at one point they were all generating income uh which of course none of them do now really but uh but none, none of the writers got paid right and at one point back then i mean those a lot of those sites were actually making money because people would invest in those sites because they, they would just look at, okay, well, they're getting X number of hits or they're getting so much traffic, therefore they must it must be something we can make money off. And it wasn't until later that they realized there wasn't really any income to be generated, except for if you wanted to run like a million pop-up ads and all that kind of stuff, right? So Yeah, I, I never got, because I wrote for PWI, did TV reviews for them for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. I only ever got free shows out of it, like... Some guys would like send me stuff and be like, "Hey, you want to review this?" And I'm like, "Sure." Yeah. Actually, JT Lightning sent me hate mail once because I was reviewing <laughs> Cleveland All Pro Wrestling. Yeah. And I was even complimentary to most of the shows, but I got some random email from him, and he was a little salty with me. Yeah, I yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I I loved. I've always been a huge, a big like I, I I write a lot and I, I I enjoyed the time that I had as a columnist. There was a website this like I said really dating myself it was called The Shooters, and that was one of the big early websites for wrestling stuff. And I wrote for them for a while too. But uh, yeah, I mean it just any it's like anything else, right? If you love something and you do it and it's fun, then you're gonna keep doing it. But the minute it starts feeling like it's a job or something you have to do. Or even worse, if somebody gets involved and they tell you how to do it, then that's the biggest thing that will turn you right off. And with me, I, I didn't like having to produce a column like every week, regardless of whether I felt like writing one or not. And if I didn't, then they bust my chops, number one. And then number two, the guys that that, that ran 411 were kind of jerks. Like they edited my columns a couple times and stuff. And I was just like, I don't need this. I'm not getting paid. I'm not enjoying it. Why am I doing this? And I'll be honest and really make myself myself sound like a freaking massive geek, but that I was really into e-fetting at that point too. <laughs> so most of the uh, the writing that I was doing at the time was was e-fed related. So uh, I just I was like, I don't need this anymore. It doesn't. Yeah, doesn't I did it. my I did my e-fetting stint for a while, but once you get like a full time job, like e-fetting's really hard. Especially, oh man, it's crazy. I ran an e-fed. Especially in that early 2000s era of eFeds, yeah. because most of them were running two shows a week, yep. plus a monthly yep. pay per view, yep. and you had to you had to write promos for all of that stuff. And yep. I think it's 
better now because like people that still do that, I think have cut it back to a show a week and yeah, yeah. and stuff. But I did that for a while, but like you, you burn out quick on that unless you have like a real love for it because it, because people get a little verbose and it's hard to read like all of the promos and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did. I loved it, man. I'm not going to lie. I was a full on, I was a full on eFed geek for quite a few years. And, uh, like I stuck with that for quite a while and I, I was successful. Like I, I had a lot of like success doing it and we, you know, uh, but I just, yeah, eventually that kind of tapered off as well. Cause like you said, I mean, I was, I was married at the time and I had a job and, other stuff going on so having to write matches and promos and and then i was running one like so i was hosting the website and all that kind of stuff after a while you just kind of i ran one for a while it's it's um i didn't like running one because it's too hard so when i ran one mine lasted for a while but it's hard to run one and to book like a create a cohesive narrative yep yeah and without pissing people off but oh, also forget if you, it if you let <laughs> yeah, nobody that, wants to lose <laughs> yeah but the thing is like there, there's a re- it's really hard to to balance a cohesive narrative that everyone can enjoy versus letting the inmates run the asylum and it just being a mess that, that isn't interesting it was i ended up getting the exact same attitude towards that that i did my writing at 411 it stopped being fun and sort of be feeling like a job and i wasn't making money off it so i thought screw this but yeah guys would like just get into these massive flame wars with each other over who deserved to win and all this kind of stuff and it's like anything else when there's hardcore fans some guys are going to take it too far and it's just going to be like it's just like whatever like like i said i was married at the time i had a wife and a job and stuff so i didn't have time for that crap and it's even like what, what upset me with that is like the guy would be bitching at you and you're like i'm jobbing you so you can win yep like yeah. it's part of the angle like <laughs> yeah <laughs> we had some very similar experiences my friend it's just like you get to the point where you're like you want to it's like oh my god don't you see what we're trying to do here so yeah it's just like, it's, forget it yeah that i just it just it just because it, it's like but the, like you wanted to make like it like you wanted to make it like a narratively cohesive but fun for everyone to read thing yeah but then to do that people would get upset because because they've been your world champion for two months, but oh my god, I lost in a tag match and I didn't even get pinned. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. You know what's really funny? I won the E-Fed that I ran. I owned the domain. Uh, it was called Outlaw Pro Wrestling. Uh, so it was OPW. And then uh, after I gave it up, a guy contacted me and wanted to buy the name off me and uh, the in the domain because he wanted to actually open an actual OPW and Outlaw Pro Wrestling an actual like indie fed. And I was like, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't actually own it. I just bought the domain. So you're going to have to take that up with the, with the hosting company. But, uh, <laughs> I think at one point after my e-fed closed, they actually, somebody started up an actual outlaw pro wrestling out there. But, uh, yeah. and you know, you know what drove me nuts too, is I had a character while I was like running it and they wouldn't even use my example. Like I ran it for a while. I was never the world champion. I'd win like a secondary, yeah, here and yeah. there but i would like if someone new came in that had some heat like i would take them on i'd lose to them yeah and like no one would ever take like your example no 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 it was all a lot of those guys were very fragile egos but like i said a lot of people uh, not to be uh stereotypical um but uh it was funny uh i did a recap of recently of the uh, david arquette documentary and i was bitching 
that you know like it made wrestling fans look look bad uh, like a bunch of geeks with no life and stuff and then one of the other guys in the thread was saying uh, yeah but you know have you been to an indie show yeah <laughs> and and it's true unfortunately a lot of the guys not all of them but a lot of the guys in the e-fetting and stuff that was their whole life right like if their character lost that was like a big blow to their their actual day-to-day life so i mean I th- you can't really i think where so i think where i think where i started to lose it was like i'd get home from work and i'd like i'd be like i'd just be getting on my computer like check my email or something or i might even be getting on to write that show and like people were like instant messaging me like before like my i my aol had even loaded yep and i think that's <laughs> where like i just finally had had enough yeah, I mean, I still have a couple of friends. Like, one of my best friends is a guy I met through eFetting. And he and I are, like, it turned out it was hilarious because we were introduced by a guy that lived in England. And it turns out we both lived in Toronto. And so we, we ended up making friends. Uh, you had mentioned a website or a, a, for, a message board called The Pit. And uh, he was actually the guy that owned it and ran it. And uh, we both live in Toronto and stuff. And he's one of my, my closest friends. And, and he, we're really, you know, we talk every day and stuff like that. And I met him through e-fetting. So, I mean, I had a lot of really positive experiences with it. But by the end, I was just like, I don't need this crap in my life. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's like, like I said, anything else, if it, once it becomes something you have to do or it's a job, then it stops being fun, yeah. right? That's kind of where, that's kind of what the, I think that's kind of why I've, I've ended up podcasting is because, like, I just come on here with two of my buddies and yeah. like we have so we 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 usually have subjects we plan out, but it's been a great way to discover some weird hidden gems like wrestling wise. But like, you know, sometimes especially like during COVID, like sometimes it's just nice to come on and shoot the shit with your buddies. And absolutely. Like, oh hey, like I you know some people listen to this like okay like I'm cool with that, but like it's yeah. just it's a nice release like. Well, it's funny. It's, it's like I, I said to you earlier, it, it's nice just to talk to you in person because uh, you and I have interacted a bunch of times over the years, but we've never talked in person and stuff. And it's nice to actually interact with somebody else that, that has common interests that you do. And, uh, you know, especially during the pandemic and stuff where everybody's so isolated from each other. It's uh, it is a I can see the appeal of podcasting. I mean, I'd considered it. I'd had a couple of people ask me if I wanted to be involved in a podcast before and stuff. And the only thing that's really stopped me is the fact that uh, I am not as uh, technically astute as I once was. I've kind of, uh, at one point I was on top of, like when I ran the EFED, I knew like I could, I, you know, I hosted the website myself and I, I was up on all the latest stuff. But uh, at one point I eventually kind of let technology pass me by and I didn't really catch up. So I, I didn't know if I'd be able to handle the, the technical requirements of podcasting. And also it's just, uh, I didn't know, you know, but it's it's something I, I respect. I mean, I respect anybody that does it like you who who manages to, you know, kind of stick to a schedule and, and do it. And I can definitely see the appeal of it for sure. It's, I think where I think where people go wrong with podcasts, um, it's going to contradict you a little bit. But to, to really get it to work and to be able to do a weekly podcast, you do kind of have to treat it like a job. Right. Like right. you have to be somewhere the same time every week. Sometimes we'll double record. Yeah, and take yeah. a couple weeks off but like you know we have subjects we have an outline usually but sometimes we'll get off in the weeds like we might be doing like a saturday morning cartoon episode or something and then we're talking about like i think like on the 1991 there was a new kids on the block cartoon or something and that we went on this like long <laughs> thing about um about like pop music and i think i think matt and i have gone off on star wars a couple times on various nice. things 
But, you know, I mean, but it's it's a nice outlet, especially, like, as a 40-year-old that's married. Sure, yeah. Sometimes, because, yeah. like, to be a good writer, you have to do it every day. Absolutely. You have Absolutely. to do it every day. You have to attack yeah. it. Even if you don't have anything to say or you're going to work on what you're you want to work on you need to write every day yeah. and especially yep. like if you have a job and stuff like it just yeah. it yeah. just doesn't happen and and it's like writing is like a muscle like if you don't do it like you lose it real quick and you have i to couldn't agree with you up. more yeah i agree with you i mean i i've got uh i've done a lot of writing in my in my time and uh, i've actually got a few uh no less than three half finished books uh, and you're absolutely right. It takes a lot of discipline and you have to really stick to it and write, even if you don't feel like it. Or, I mean, I, I've read that book Stephen King wrote on how to write. Uh, it's called on writing. And he, he talks about how the reason he's been so successful is he forces himself to sit down every day and write 2000 words, whether he wants to or not. Like even he said, even if it's when he's done, it's crap and he doesn't end up using it. Like he forces himself to, to write. And that's where one of my failures has been is that I have never really, uh, for valid reasons, like I, I had a job, like a full time job and stuff, but I never forced myself to uh, to kind of see it through, right? So, uh, but uh, it is you're absolutely right what you say. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, it's it's fun though. You just talk, you know. You have you have a good time. Like the first six months, you're kind of just like, eh, do I really want to do this today? But then, like you know, two years end, it's just what you do every Tuesday or Wednesday when you get on, and like some weeks you look forward to it because that's like your sanctuary and. Sure. Yeah. All that stuff. But um, so what would you say? So we kind of talked about. So you start off kind of WWF, and you kind of, kind of saw. I'd say you kind of were drawn to JCP because it's it was awesome for the mid '80s, and then you kind of migrated to ECW. Do you have, do you have a, do you have a promotion that you would consider to be like your favorite? Yeah. Um. It's it's interesting. That's an interesting question. I would say probably like if you if we did the whole desert island deal, you know, like they say, if you're trapped on a desert island, what three movies would you take or what three books would you take or whatever? If I could only watch one type of wrestling and I had to pick an organization, uh, I would probably say all Japan from the 1990s. Uh, My my fandom of that style has fluctuated uh, over the years. Like at one point I was crazy into it. And then uh, at one point I kind of got out of it. Um, a little bit, but I'd say like if I was going to sit down and watch just an isolated match or, or, or a promotion that more often than not was kind of hit me right where I lived and was the kind of stuff that I loved, it would, I'd say all Japan because from, I'd say from around 1990 up until, well, really the whole nineties, honestly, and 90, even, I'd say about for me, once you start dipping into like 98, 99, I'd say the excesses start really to creep in. Yeah. The head dropping stuff got to be a bit much, uh, yeah. And then, like when they split, like I would, like I, I, I was an actively a fan when they did split, and I started watching like Noah right from the get go, uh, and I liked it. Uh, it was great. Like I had no issues. I watched Noah pretty much straight up until Masawa passed away. I wasn't like religious about it at one point, but because uh, you know financially it got to be a bit of an issue, you know, getting the tapes and the and the DVDs and stuff. But uh, I would say probably. Um, you know, I, I've gone through phases, right? Like, I mean, at one point I was really into the shoot style stuff. Like I got into UWFI and the UWF and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and even like U style, like some of the more obscure, uh, and, and Pancrase and stuff like that. Um, Battle and arts. then 
yeah, and that kind of led me into MMA as well for quite a while. I was into that. Um, really, I mean, pride fighting and all that kind of stuff. I kind of your fandom kind of takes a, a path where you kind of go all over the place. But I, I, I'd still to this day, I'm still a huge All Japan fan. I would say. I think uh, I think I'm, I think you're the one. There's someone that always I think I've always attributed you saying that you think 1993 might be the best absolutely promotion yeah. ever had. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the the TV, the All Japan TV that year was just you know unbelievable. Like you can go back and watch, and it's just like uh, that. Somebody once started a thread at PWO and asked like, what was the best year for one particular promotion? And uh, and uh, you know John Williams, the guy that uh, that is posts over at the other arena and stuff. He's kind of a a pretty well-known uh, historian. He posts under the name JDW and stuff, and, and he agreed with me, so I knew I must be on the right track because 93 age, All Japan was just like, uh, you can't go wrong there. Like, you could buy, at one point, you could buy the whole that whole year's worth of All Japan TV from, like, high spots or whatever, and it was just, uh, that's just good. That's good shit, pal. That's just, I love that stuff. Is um When did uh, Mrs. Baba's favorite... Um blonde-haired <laughs> i make that joke on this show a lot <laughs> that's funny because i i love all japan and i can't stand johnny ace like usually the matches where he's in it like when he's teaming with somebody like spivey or hansen or whoever i'm like oh johnny ace he's so but awkward and weird in the i region. know i know it's really bizarre i never under i never got I mean, it was weird. There were guys that were nothing in the States and would go over there and end up catching on. Like, you can see why Hanson and, and Dr. Death and guys like that were huge. But then you'd see a guy like Ace and you'd be like, what's the appeal? I don't get it. Like, even Spivey, like, kind of, like, justified his existence yeah. over there as much as I didn't particularly care for him. Like, oh, you know, he had some good matches. and um... Yeah, yeah. And even, no, like, I... um, even, like, um, was, um, was Del Wilkes the eagle? No, he was a patriot. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I was trying yeah. to think. Who was the eagle then? Oh, uh, shit. I don't remember who it was under the hood. Um, I thought he was over there. I thought Del Wilkes went over there as like a different identity. Between no, nah, he was the patriot. He, um, I'm pretty sure he was the patriot. Like he was a mid card guy, right? Yeah. Um, he was the patriot yeah. here. I thought he had done like a different gimmick in, um, in, um. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. He was the trooper in the AWA, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember when he showed up in the WWF in the 90, like in 97 or whatever. I was like, oh, this will be good. And then they, you know, they used him. I think he fought Bret Hart at one pay-per-view or something like that. And then he pretty much went down the tubes. I mean, I think later on it turned out he had a drug problem or something like that. He he tore like his bicep or something. Yeah. And like they, um, he could never, like, I think he had to retire because of it. Yeah, yeah, but uh, no, I yeah he was uh, yeah that 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 stuff like I said that all Japan stuff from the nineties is probably still to this day. Um, I find now like in the modern like my my ironically my fandom right now is probably at the lowest point that it's ever been in the thirty five years or whatever it is that I've been a pro wrestling fan. I'm just not all that actively following stuff. My my interests have kind of shifted more towards you know podcasts and historical stuff and that, but. Uh, but, uh, you know, I find that uh, if I am, like I said, if I'm going to sit down and watch something, it'll, it'll generally be that kind of stuff rather than rather than the modern product. You know, it is funny. Um, my, my fandom, my fandom with modern stuff has struggled a bit because of the lack of fans. It just. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. But I actually so I, I actually 
stopped watching for about five years after the Benoit murders. Yeah, yeah. It took a while, yeah. but then um, I actually got back in because of Chikara. Yeah. Yeah, I, there. that's another place. Like, when I, I was kind of always, like, I would hear stuff online. This place is good. That place is good. So back when, at this point, I'm dating myself again, but I would order, like, a VHS tape. Like, I'd see who was recommending what, and I would order something, or I'd order a DVD to check it out. So, yeah, I can see how that would kind of bring you back in. And, um, let's see. Because it was very episodic in nature as well, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Like, it was kind of like, yeah. And it had, like, the care. you know, it had, goo- like, the matches were okay, but, like, you know, they they had a lot of, you know, big personalities. and Yeah. You know, yeah. At, the, at the time, like, at the time, like, really, they quietly had, like, a lot of good talent. Like, Drew Gulak yeah. is um, Soldier Ant. Orange Cassidy was Fire Ant. Yeah. Yeah, they had a lot of guys that went on to be, like, they had Eddie Kingston and stuff, right? Yeah, they had Eddie Kingston. Yeah. Claudio was there. Um, and, uh, John... Uh, like Brody Lee and stuff was in there, yeah. wasn't he at one point? Yeah. yeah, he was there for quite a while actually. Yeah, because he yeah. was the big rig there. Yeah, yeah. And even like Sarah I never Del saw Rey him until there. I never saw him until he was in Ring of Honor. Like he actually wrestled at a couple. At a, I remember I went to this one uh, this one Ring of Honor show. They used to run an arena in Toronto, and for whatever reason they couldn't they couldn't get in there. And but they had the date reserved to come up here, so they ended up running at this county fairgrounds. Which is like I live like a little bit north of the city, and it's like ten minutes from my house, uh, and it's in the middle of nowhere. And I went to this arena, and it was freaking freezing cold, and there was like hay on the floor because it was like a livestock arena. Nice. And uh, and Carrie Silken uh, was at the door, and he was greeting everybody, and they came, as they came in and thanking them for making the trip because a lot of guys came up from the city, and I said, hey, it's no big problem for me. I live like ten minutes away. Thank you for running so close to my house. But uh, he was Brody Lee was at the show. Uh, he was in that stable Age of the Fall, I think, at the time. Yeah, that was one of their big squandered um, stables, I thought. Yeah, yeah, but that was the first time I saw him. And I remember I was with that friend I was telling you about, the guy that I know from eFetting, and me, we were there. And I, I was watching him, and I remember saying to my buddy, clear as day, I'm like, this guy's, this guy's good, man. This guy's going to be big. Like, I, I'm amazed nobody's grabbed him yet, because he was... Uh, he was, I, I remember being impressed by him at the time, and then I kind of looked into him a bit more, and that's when I heard he had been in, in Shikara before that. Yeah, I don't, had I ever seen him live? I don't think I ever saw him live. Yeah, it's no, I'm one of those things. Him live in WWF. He's always been like that. You know how sometimes, like, weird, like, just a weird, like, series of events, like a guy just never is on a show you see live? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because I kind of had, no, I saw Taker live. He was just, it was biker taker at the time. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I was lucky because I saw so much live stuff in the 80s that I got to see pretty much, like I saw Andre a number of times. I got to see Hogan in his, in his prime more or less a bunch. And then, uh, you know, I got to, I went down to uh, Buffalo to, you know, it's only a couple hour drive. I go down there, so I got to see a ton of ECW live and stuff. So I was fortunate. I got to see Ring of Honor. They used to come up to Toronto all the time. So I got to see a lot of stuff. That uh, I, back uh, in more innocent times when you could go from the United States and Canada with no problems. Yeah, exactly. When you could cross the border. But uh, not anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that was, it was, I was fortunate. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's amazing when I look at how many shows i went to the the amount of uh like when they had that thread at, at pwo about the best stuff you've seen live 
I remember sitting down and thinking, man, I've been to like uh, countless shows and really I can count on one hand the amount of matches that really stick out in my memory, which means I must have really shitty luck in picking what shows I'm going to go to or my memory is for shit. But (laughs) You know, honestly, I've talked about that. I think on PWO too is just um, the wrestling's just better now. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, there's a lot of stuff I like about stuff from the eighties and nineties and even into the two thousands. But like, Back then, like, a three-star match was, like, a novelty. Yeah. Like, you didn't see that every day. And, like, nowadays, and I talk about that with, like, promotions trying to draw people. It's, like, I could go, I could probably go find a show in a barn tomorrow with 20 people watching and find a three-star match in that barn. Yeah. Like, you gotta, if you want me to come to your show and see your three-star match, you gotta, you've gotta give me something to latch onto now, because I can get that three-star match literally in any promotion, probably, other than the most podunk of, like, podunk promotions. And even then, that promotion might give it to me. So, you need that, and that's where I think Ring of Honor really got lost, is, you gotta give me story, you gotta give me, like, the side stuff, like. Yeah, you're right. I mean, after ECW I really latched on to Ring of Honor big time because they kind of, to me, felt like the successor. And uh, and they, at that point, were, like, in their early days, uh, were kind of like the work rate promotion. Like, that's the whole thing. They didn't even run a whole lot of storylines. They just gave you great matches. But then, like you said, that kind of, every now, I mean, it's it's amazing that you can go. It's, it's For me, it's incredible as a, as a fan who's a little bit older because when I was, when I was growing up, Toronto, well, the WWF, to stranglehold on Toronto that not only could no other organization run a show in this town, but uh, you couldn't even get on TV or anything. So it was like, we, we didn't even know there was anything else. Whereas now like there's just Indies all over the place. Like you could literally the uh, you before the pandemic hit, there was like, uh, like there was a couple of bars downtown that they would have regular indie shows like every couple of weeks and stuff. And, and you're right. Like you could go to an indie show with guys you've never heard of. And the odds are you're going to see a decent match, which is just uh so different in the earlier earlier days but uh, so from that perspective it is it's much better now yeah and, and like i think um but like that's where i think some i think that's where a lot of the like i said ring of honor really went wrong is they they were really they, and i still think they haven't got it because I, I i don't know if you try to watch their tv from time to time but their tv is just awful i i didn't i gave up on them for quite a while uh totally gave up on them and then when i heard the buzz around this ironically uh that's the last modern wrestling i really watched is when they had that pure tournament uh i watched that i watched the whole pure wrestling tournament that they ran during the pandemic where in front of no fans and stuff and i i really liked it i don't see it as a sustainable tv product uh and i don't think that there will be enough interest in it to, to sustain it the promotion in general but i liked it but yeah they 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 ended up just becoming, and a lot of that actually, I think, is is on Cornette uh, when he took over, and 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 that kind of stuff is as the uh, in the creative department there was working with uh, with Sinclair Broadcasting, and when Sinclair took over, they they kind of became like a second rate TV fed, and it was just it, a lot of the specialness went out of it, and yeah, it, uh, I mean, Cornette was really just. I think that's where he lost a lot of credibility. Is I agree with a lot of his opinions on modern wrestling at times. But yeah. I think the problem he has and the problem I developed with him is like, yeah, you're good at pointing out the flaws, but you also don't know what modern fans want either. Yeah. So when you talk about these things, like you've proven it's... through your booking, you don't know how to answer that. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it, as much as I don't like stuff like modern stuff, 
the storylines in that sometimes. I think that uh, Cornette, I, like I've said this before in when I've had defended him, if, if I had to go to somebody and say, I need you to lay out a match for me, uh, especially now that Pat Patterson is no longer with us, uh, Cornette would be the guy you want to go to because he can explain how things happen in a match, how you build the heat, especially with tag team matches and stuff like that. I don't think there's anybody smarter. It, it, that's why I find it stunning that when it comes to booking and stuff, he's so clueless. Like, he just doesn't get it. And that's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, he, 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 he wants to bring back a style of wrestling that I don't think would really fly now. And I just think that even then, like, he just wasn't really, like, I loved Smoky Mountain when I saw it. But it's just, it's like I said, it's not sustainable. It's just like I don't think this the, the pure wrestling stuff in Ring of Honor is sustainable. I'll watch it. If fans ever come back again, if we ever actually get through this pandemic and there's live wrestling again, I'll probably, if I'm going to watch any promotion, it will probably be Ring of Honor. Uh, and if the NWA comes back again, if they survive the pandemic, I'll probably check them out. But uh, And they were doing some interesting stuff right before the pandemic where they were working with Ring of Honor, and I was really excited about that. That'll be the stuff I probably gravitate towards if, if when the pandemic is over. But I don't honestly know how sustainable it is, right? It's like when you're really into a band and they're yeah. indie or like a punk band or something, and you're like, "Hey, this is great," but I know they're not gonna <laughs> they're not gonna make it. Yeah, but what drove me nuts, what still drives me nuts about his Ring of Honor booking run, is like, why would he not turn Kevin Steen face? Yeah, I mean, it, I'm of two minds on that. I've heard his side of the story. I've heard Steen's side of the story. And I think I think there was the, that might have been, and this is just my opinion, so take it for what it's worth, which is nothing. But I think it, that was like a lot of a personality clash between Cornette and Steen. I think Steen had it in his head how he was going to do things. And uh, and Cornette wanted him to do it differently. And I just think the two of them uh, couldn't couldn't work together and stuff like that. But I don't think I don't think Cornette saw a lot in Steen, obviously. And... Uh, and so I think that was the problem right there. Like, I don't think he was really willing to go outside the box with Steen because I don't think he saw anything in him. So. And even like, but like Ring of Honor is really not good at like, they, they catch certain things for like a brief moment. Like my favorite thing, like from his run that I don't think Kevin, uh, Jim Cornette got that I thought was great is like when Kevin Steen, like won the title and he's cutting this promo backstage and he just starts eating this piece of cake, like an absolute pig. <laughs> celebrate like it was hilarious but like other stuff that they've done like that they've never capitalized on is like the briscoes being a bunch of like rednecks on their like um their farm yeah yeah oh yeah i love those promos that they shot like when odb uh... shows up and they're just shooting these guns (laughs) and like drinking beer and stuff and cutting promos or like when papa briscoe comes on did you ever see the one they cut called uh not aesthetically pleasing. Yes. They were, they were complaining about uh, Benjamin and Haas and Benjamin and stuff like that. Like that to me, that was great. I love that stuff. But I, again, I, I take a lot of shit from my, my friends that like wrestling. Cause I've always been a huge Briscoe fan and I, people tend to, uh, you know, uh, conf- like, you know, the stuff that they've done outside the ring, they kind of use that as an excuse not to like what they do in the ring. And I, you know, my, my problem with that is, is it, okay, so you don't like what the Briscoes did. So yeah. what about all those like seventies and eighties guys that were like banging underage teens and like? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Like, it's where do you draw the line? Yeah. Like I, I can't watch. I don't watch a lot of Benoit matches. I'm at the point now where I can watch one, and and it's like if it's on, I'll watch it. That's fine. Um, but I still look to this day. I don't watch. Uh, not that I was a huge fan of Puerto Rico anyways, but I don't watch uh, Invader, like Invader yeah. matches because 
you know, because he killed Brody. And I'm not even like I, I've seen a lot of snooker in my time, and I don't even really like now knowing what I know watching that. Or, but it, it, it's it's I guess everybody has their own personal line, like what <laughs> what how much scummy behavior are you willing? Yeah, to... Yeah, but it, you know the problem is though, like with that, is like um, is like they'll they'll get like on the Briscoes case, and like I'm not. I understand why a big league promotion won't touch them, and I understand why they'd be in uproar. But it's like you're really yeah. you're really drawing a line with them. But like, you know, Abdul yeah. the Butcher giving someone Hep C or like, um, you know, yeah. all the drugs and like the stuff that's gone on, like, or even like the bullying and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, like Jim storied career. Yeah, but you know the Briscoes never got a shot in a national major national promotion. No, I, that's one of my. I argue with my friends about that constantly because I got one. Like I said, I got a buddy who is drinking the uh, Young Bucks Kool Aid. Is that you know they are the greatest tag team in wrestling right now and stuff. And and I was arguing. I was like, I don't even think they're top three. He's like, who's better? And I was like, FTR. I think FTR are better, and I think the Briscoes are better. And he's like, went mental. No, oh, the Briscoes suck, and blah blah blah. But. I, I've always thought it was a shame those guys never uh, never got a run with WWE or never got a run somewhere aside from Ring of Honor. It's a shame, but uh, what are you gonna do? I guess bucks, uh, actually, I uh, you know it's it's what I it's it's the whole thing where it's like how do you compare Ty Cobb to whoever the hottest player is in baseball right now? I mean. For what for what wrestling is now, maybe they are the greatest team. I don't know. Although I'd still put them behind FTR. See, I'd but, say even uh, like I like I like the Bucks from a couple years ago. I think even a little better than the Bucks from now. But yeah. like even in AEW, like I would yeah. I would take um, Pentagon and like Ray Phoenix. Yeah. Over them and um, yeah. And um and I like um like I think even uh, Fish and O'Reilly and NXT and I mean there's a I mean hell even like the New Day and the Usos and stuff there's a lot of good damn tag teams out there. I don't I don't so. particularly like O'Reilly. But um, no, no. But they had a match with uh, Fish and O'Reilly had a match with FTR not long before FTR left that I thought was just great on TV last year. I thought it was one of the best things I'd seen in quite some time. FTR uh, like good. Uh, the FTR were they were. Already main roster guys went back to NXT to fight the Undisputed Era and I thought that was a great freaking match but uh, but yeah but anyways like I said my I guess my point was the Briscoes I thought you know hell I thought those guys were great but uh, but it's, I've, I always I've, thought it was a sh- I've I've they never caught on I've had a I've had a long and storied history of them of liking them kind of falling out of love with them liking them again <laughs> but that's yeah I think that's yeah. a problem though. I think the problem there is they've been in Ring of Honor forever, and when you see like when guys don't go away, like you have like ups and downs with them. But I will say, and we talked about it on the show. I said, I said John Moxley was the best North American World Title run since Jay Briscoe's ROH World Title run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean I didn't follow uh, Moxley's run religiously. Like I, I was kind of hit and miss with AEW. I, I watched them every week for the first couple of months, and then I kind of gave up on it. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, and I, I remember Briscoe's run as a singles, as a singles champion in ROH for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? It's not, it's not too late. I suppose they could catch on somewhere else to get a kind of last 
last shot at stardom, but I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. I think that's one thing, though. One thing... I think one thing that we, we talk about a lot on the show, I think what, whatever you think of AEW, I think what they've been really excellent and excelled at doing is actually protecting their titles. Yeah. And, yeah. um... Because we were talking about that with Moxley's reign. is like, you tend to... Like, if you watched, you could go back and you could say, well, I remember Moxley defended against him, him, and him, because his title defenses were important. But, like, if you talk about, like, Drew McIntyre, it's like, I I know he, like, was stuck with Randy Orton forever, but I can't really tell you a lot <laughs> else. Yeah, that's... that's You're absolutely... One of the one of my main criticisms of, of, of the modern WWE product, I don't... I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole is that I just, it's all, it all blends in together. It's all the same. Like the, the promos are all the same and the shows are all the same and the matches are all the same. And it's just, there's nothing special about it. And it's like, uh, it's funny. I was a couple of years ago, I was sick and I was home for a couple of days and I'd never seen one of those fast and furious movies. So I watched like over the course of like two or three days, I watched them all. And then, uh, my buddy asked me, I told him that I'd done it. And he's like, what'd you think? And I said, I know it's going to make me sound like I have Alzheimer's, but I can't really remember. Like, it all just kind of bled together. It's like a bunch of cars blowing up or chases and stuff. And that's kind of the way I look at WWE now. Like, it's it might be technically okay. Like, it's certainly well-produced, I guess. And it's 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 technically, like, the matches might be all right. But it just, it, there's nothing remarkable. There's nothing exceptional about, about it. And it all just kind of blends together. So it's like just pablum. And I just, like, I don't, ugh. Well, I mean, unless you're Nia Jackson, like you're it's screaming about your the, hole on TV. Well, that's a whole. Yeah, I mean, that's that's that deserves its own whole thing. Oh pardon the pun, but uh, I, I you know what's hilarious? Clip of that, and I'm like, oh, you I saw know. that clip live when it was. <laughs> I saw it on YouTube afterwards because they 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 yeah. edited it off of the replay. Yeah, somebody put it on Twitter. That's how I saw it. So yeah, and it's just like they yeah. did that, but it's like they did all that crap to finally have Lana win. And I don't know if Naya did that herself or someone told her to do that, but I'm like, that's a great way to like completely bury like the person you're trying to put over. Well, with with that organization, there's so many goofy backstage political going on. You never know, right? Yeah. Like it could be somebody sandbagging her. It could be God only knows what. Well, I mean, they're probably mad the... that Miro went and worked for the competition. Probably, yeah. It's just a. Uh... It's just I just gave that just made me tired that that watching that stuff. I, this is this is the first uh, Royal Rumble in the history of the Royal Rumble that I have never watched. I even no matter how bad my fandom was, no matter how annoyed I was with with uh, WWE, I would always watch the Royal Rumble. And this is the first year that I didn't it, bother because I'm just like I don't care. It, in my opinion, for a long time, was the greatest gimmick pay per view event of the year, and yep, I. Yep. I I think where I lost interest in it is I don't think they've there's been a good one for like five years. No, but I mean, even last year I went to my buddy's place and we watched it and like Edge came back. Like something would happen. At least one thing would happen that would that would be, you know, you I hate to use insider language, but you'd pop for something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. either whether it be an elimination that would be good or a return, like a nostalgia return or whatever. And at this point, like this year, I just didn't care. Like I heard Christian came back and that's great and stuff. But I just they have managed to totally alienate me to the point where they could pretty much, you know, have the reanimated corpse of Bruno San Martino appearing. And I'd be like, yeah, that's, <laughs> like, just... that's pretty much how I feel. Because like Edge won the Royal Rumble this year. And I'm like, I don't care. 
nope, I don't care. And I apparently from the ratings, nobody else cared either. Like, it's just, who cares? Yeah, there are people that are gobsmacked that they lost to NXT with Edge on TV. And I'm like, well, Edge really isn't, like, has never been a TV draw other than, like, a small window on SmackDown. Like, he's not really, like, he's a well-remembered star, but, like, Edge coming back would be, like, Hacksaw Jim Duggan coming yeah. back in, like, the 90s. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, no, I, I don't, like I said, I don't care. They managed to make me not care totally. So, And that's not the kind of thing that is going to be, it's going to get any better, and I just don't care. Like, I just don't, there's nothing that they could really do or say that could make me want to want to invest in watching that product again. I just think it's so dysfunctional, the management of the company and the creative is so bad and the quality of the program. Programming is so horrible. Stupid tri- freaking camera work with the quick cuts and all oh, that kind God, of stuff. Just yeah. Don't care. And Triple H isn't isn't going to be better. I think his NXT run no. has proven that. I see. I never know with that because I think that in one, of all people, Scott Hall said you don't really get to see what he's capable of because the bottom line is Vince sticks his fingers and everything. Like he micromanages everything. So I mean, it's just who knows how he'd do. Uh, but I, I don't care. Like I said, I don't, I don't yeah. think even if Vince dies, they're going to sell the company to Disney or NBC. I heard Conrad Thompson talking about this recently on a, he had one of those, you know, uh, ask Conrad podcasts. And I mean, the bottom line is, uh, he's like best friends for look for real with Bruce Pritchard, who is Vince's right hand guy. And he's also, you know, related to her and he has a million friends who are wrestlers. So somebody asked him, what do you think is going to happen? And I think Conrad would actually probably have a pretty good guess. And he said, I'm telling you right now, when Vince isn't going to run the company anymore, he's not going to give it to somebody else. He's going to sell it. He's going to sell it to NBC or he's going to sell it to Disney. And they're going to turn around and, and hire somebody to run it for them. But uh, And I think maybe this whole streaming service thing they're doing with Peacock might be a, a precursor to that. But I don't think that uh, I don't think Triple H is going to get a chance to run it with his vision anyways. I don't think Vince can handle the thought of anybody else running that company except him. So once he can't do it anymore, I think he's going to sell it and that'll be it. Well, I think it's going to get interesting because I don't know. I don't know. So what's happening here is NBC is getting rid of their sports channel here. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if that happens, NXT is probably going to get removed off of TV for NHL hockey. Yeah. And um, if you remove NXT from like, the same night as AEW, I think their ratings are going to bounce over a million. And I yeah, really, I think so. I think so. I really am going to wonder what's going to happen if like Raw's doing 1.6 million and AEW's doing like 1.4 million. If that's actually going to convince them to change, because because the thing is, like, even where it is now, like AEW does better in younger viewers than WWE. Yeah, absolutely. WWE is catering to people my age. <laughs> well, I've talked about it on the show, and where I think really why AEW does better is if you watch WWE at ETV, there's no one like under the age of like 35 on TV. No. But no. like, if you turn AEW on, you've got like you've got these young, attractive people. Yeah. Like you've got Jungle Boy, you've got like Riho, you've got yep. if you're like in your 20s, there's people your age. Like that's the way when I started watching like. When I started watching WCW, like Rey Mysterio was only three or four years older than me. Yep, that's like I, I we were talking about it before you started recording. Uh, like when I watch AEW, which I don't really anymore, but I look at a guy like Darby Allen, 
Like that's your money guy right there, or even Orange Cassidy, who you know I, I I like him. I think he's a good character. I don't know. How, I think there's probably a ceiling to how successful he can be with that gimmick. But I think, like I said, a guy like Darby Allen, man, like they need to strap a rack, strap a rocket to his back, because that guy's got potential like crazy. And I can't think of one guy on the WWE roster right now who has anywhere near the kind of potential that uh, that that a guy like Darby Allen has. And even if they have somebody like that, they're gonna screw it up. They're going to mess it up. They mess everything up. That's why I, I I tapped out. I was an NXT fan for a long time and didn't watch the main roster stuff. And I just got so sick of seeing the guys that I liked get wasted. You know, and, it's, they get called up and get shit all over. So it's just like. Well, and like they, they've really had trouble with their roster when like the call up stopped because like Undisputed Era has been on top there for like four years now. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I don't hate them as much as a lot of people do, although I'm no huge Adam Cole fan. No, no uh, one on this podcast is. I, <laughs> you know why? My problem with him is, like, there's stuff I've liked with him in it, but then I realized yeah. that was in Pro Wrestling Gorilla, and he was teaming with the Bucks, and he was probably just leeching off their personality. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a decent promo, and I guess, like, for what they want from him in WWE he'll do okay but like I said it doesn't really really matter anyways it's all moot because nobody's going to be a star the yeah. brand is the star yeah so it's just like who cares anymore like I, I they've they've managed to do something that uh, I never thought they'd be able to do and that is a total feeling of absolute apathy in me and distrust to the point where there's absolutely like I said there's nothing they could say or do to to make me want to start tuning into that crap again yeah that's that's so really just, where I'm at like because it's funny with this show is we started out and we did a lot of modern stuff and then we just stopped because we just couldn't take yeah. it anymore. How can you? I mean, like, I, that's why I, I was probably disproportionately marking out for NWA Power when it came on because it was something that, and number one, it appealed to me, and number two, it was different and it was new and it was not like pre, you know, scripted crap, you know. And plus, there was a nostalgia thing, which reminded me when I first saw jcp and stuff like that right so that's why that appealed to me i think on its own merits it probably really isn't all that great if you get real technical about it but thank god it wasn't scripted nonsense crap so when they had some i think i think what i liked about power is they they really found some gems like thunder rosa really started to feel like a big star yeah i liked yep. um oh what was his name aaron rex and what was he in there um uh yeah uh, it's the guy that played sandow um, yeah i think it was aaron, aaron stevens yeah. yeah and then um even like <laughs> yeah, i know people got annoyed but well trevor murdoch was really great in that oh man yeah he was really hitting his stride right when right when the pandemic hit. yeah he was and... really starting to kind of He'd had a couple of really good matches, and yeah. Even like the question, I, I, I thought the question was fun. I know some people had a problem with that. It but... was. I didn't have a problem with it. I just thought they were starting to overdo the comedy stuff. Yeah. Like they were starting to lean. Like I don't mind them having one or two comedy characters, but they were doing two things that annoyed me. Number one, they were they were leaning too heavily into the comedy at times, and number two, they were bringing in way too many scenes. Like having the Rock and Roll Express, and then George South, and then Scott Steiner, and then it's like, come on, guys. Like you got guys like they had that. that have you ever seen that guy Caleb Conley? Yeah. Like they, ha he's a kid that I thought had tons of potential, and they barely used them. You know what I mean? And it's just like there's there was like to me you put the you put the the kids in there. You know, like you put the uh, like uh, when they had uh, oh they had a, a couple different guys on the roster that I thought were young and just get these guys in front of the TV and just uh, like Ricky Starks is a perfect example. Like the minute he was on screen, I was like, man, where the hell is this guy be? 
you know. So get those guys on TV. Don't don't worry about freaking Scott Steiner and and all this other stuff. The Rock and Roll Express. Like, give me a break, man. I don't need to see that. But, uh, um, Impact's actually got Caleb Conley, and they're pushing him right now. Oh, do they? Yeah. yeah so like, it's they, funny because they're based in Toronto. Yeah. So like, Impact's based in Toronto, and they're running shows here like. I almost went to one of their pay-per-views because it was at a club downtown. It's actually, but I'd sworn off live wrestling after my last. Impact's really good the, right uh, now. I've heard that. I've heard that. It's just they. I, I know they lean kind of heavily into the, uh, you know, like they did that angle with the murder thing, like the mystery that somebody got shot and all that kind of stuff. And I just that's not my. The, the thing that I, will, I the one thing I'll defend them when they do that stuff is if they're doing something stupid, like they did this. Um, Ethan Page, when they wrote him off, like he had an alternate personality called Karate Man. Yeah. And so they, when they were gonna, when his contract ended out of the pay per view, they did like a vignette where they did like a Mortal Kombat fight where Karate Man like ripped his heart out and killed him. Yes, I heard about that. Yes. So where Impact does it right when they do stuff like that is if they're gonna do something stupid, they go a hundred and fifty percent whole hog, like just if you're gonna be stupid, you may as well be yeah. really stupid. <laughs> Cause like even when they shot that guy on TV, like Tommy yeah. Dreamer is like screaming like no. Yeah. And like yeah. so so I think they I think they pull it off because they um they they just they just lean into it so heavy that it's ridiculous. But so Caleb Conley's there and like he he's like Tennille Dashwood's like little bitch boy. Ah, okay. And so, right. but his name there, and I actually think it's a good heel gimmick. Is his, his name there is Caleb with a K, <laughs> and he's just like this okay. little douchebag that like teams with yeah. her and stuff and wrestles. But like, it's actually a good gimmick. Like, I I enjoy him there. Well, I, like I said, if 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 after the pandemic, if the NWA starts up again, and who knows if it will, and who knows if what it'll look like because Lagana probably won't be involved and I know he was one of the major no, he, um, forces. We, we just talked about him actually because um, we were talking about how you never want the I'm not a predator but defenses when someone accuses you of misconduct. <laughs> yeah. It's not a good look. Yeah, but, it's like uh, I, I compared it to like you do the dramatic prairie dog when um, when um, they when they do that. But yeah, so he's really what ended them because I don't remember yeah. the particulars of that. No, I mean it, he was accused of forcing himself on one of on a female talent and stuff, so he quit. Yeah. And then it wasn't too long after that that the pandemic hit, right? But so no, who knows was, if they it are. It was gonna... the pandemic hit, and then the what was what was there? Speaking out was the the hashtag that yeah. hit. So the pandemic started in like March, and then the speaking out thing was like June. Yeah. Or late yeah. May. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, so, I mean, who knows what they're going to look like if they come back. Uh, so who knows? But, uh, yeah, I think if they do come back, I think they do need to focus a little bit more on, on youth and not so much on the uh, the older guys. Yeah. Because that's just not going to be viable. Let's see. Well, I think we're, I think Impact's found a good, where I think Impact's found a good thing that the NWA should consider is Impact's, like, become this, Hey, did you did you did you have that stink of the WWE on you? Like, why don't you come over here, sign a contract with us for six months to a year, you know, yeah. rehab your image, and then a bigger promotion will sign you away from us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that's probably what's going to end up happening, right? Because they did that. I mean, with, I, they did that with Deanna Perazzo. Like the Good Brothers are kind of doing that right now. Like I think that yeah, Rich yeah. Swan's like. 
yeah. done that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So let's Yeah, no, I did I checked out some impact. I just I don't like I said, it's, it's considering they're based in my hometown and that uh, they run a lot they were running a lot of shows here, I didn't see as much as you, you would have thought. Well, you know, it's actually I, I don't get the channel, but they have a streaming service and for like eight dollars a month you can you get all the T V and like they do Yeah. They do special well, they own like, a, big shows. Up here, they own their own network. It's called the Fight Network. Oh, okay. And so if you pay like an extra five bucks a month, they'll add it to your cable system. And it's pretty much like practically wall-to-wall impact programming between the historic, like the older uh, TNA stuff and then the impact stuff. You get it pretty much all the time. But uh, I, uh, I, I, I canceled the channel because I, I never watched it. Like another thing is, too, before the company that owns Impact bought them, like before Anthem bought, uh, bought the Fight Network, they used to show all sorts of stuff. Like they had a Ring of Honor and they had... Jet, like New Japan, and they had all sorts of stuff. So the channel, there was a lot of variety. And then once once Anthem bought the company, it was basically, they just used it as the dumping ground for all TNA and Impact stuff. And I was like, yeah, I don't really need my own Impact-related channel here. So I uh, I scrapped it. Was, um, but, uh, was Fight Network the one that used to get like all the weird like old stuff like on TV yeah. all the time? Yeah. Because I used yeah. to be so jealous that we didn't get that stuff. It started off really, really, really well. And then it kind of it it it, it kind of uh, they've gone through a couple of ownership changes, and I think they've had issues with getting because uh, at one point they kind of went the other way. They were at one point they were the exclusive Canadian provider for UFC. So for a while, for a while they were pro- first started, and then they went all like headlong into the UFC stuff, and you could barely see any pro wrestling on there. Uh. And then there was a period in between <laughs> where they really didn't have anything, so their whole thing was showing like really crappy old uh, martial arts movies, like. Uh, cheesy 1980s like kung fu movies and stuff uh but then like i said when it when anthem bought them and then they started really pimping the impact stuff that was pretty much like i don't know what's on there right now but i guarantee if you turn that on it would be an old impact replay or, or an old best of tna thing or whatever and i just like i said it wasn't my i imagine it's gotten tougher too because wwe's really frozen that footage market out yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i'm sure the wwe wouldn't mind getting their hands on the on the TNA library, but, uh, you know, that's one thing that pisses me off with ROH. And I think really hurts their viability as a company is they have, they don't utilize their old footage. Like you, um, Oh, it's stupid. It's just so stupid. I mean, it was funny. The, The first show they did in January, the Joe cough, like actually made a statement at the beginning of the show saying, I know fans want to see our footage and we're going to be rolling out honor club. And if you join up with Honor Club, we're going to have blah, blah, blah. But he admitted in the damn in the damn promo on their TV show that we don't have it all up there yet. And I'm like, how can you be sitting on that stuff that you have and not in your company that barely has any money and barely has any fans? And you're sitting on a giant library of classic freaking amazing. They're sitting on the freaking Joe Punk trilogy. They're sitting on all sorts of stuff. And, you're you know, they on, got you're sitting on like every major WWE star. Yeah. From like the last decade. And you know what yeah. you know what really drove me nuts is there was a point like I think five or six years ago I wanted to get some of the old DVDs. Yeah. And and I um they didn't have any of them. They only had yeah. stuff like starting in the Sinclair era. And then I yeah. started to try and buy them on eBay, but some of those discs are really expensive. So after yeah. like buying like the first five or six shows, I was just like, you know what? Like I'm just torrenting it all. I do not feel like you know what's funny. I have a massive stockpile of unopened Ring of Honor DVDs, like still in their original plastic. <laughs> some, some of those, some of those out of print ones are really 
like yeah. expensive. Like I went to uh, I went to a couple. Yeah, I know. I went to a couple Ring of Honor shows, and they were on sale for like five bucks a pop and stuff. And I had like disposable income at that point in my life, so I was buying up stuff. Like every time I went to a Ring of Honor show, I'd buy like I kid you not like ten, fifteen DVDs, and I'd always be like, "Oh, I'm gonna watch these later," and I never did. And then when I moved into this place, I packed them all in like a trunk. And then the other day I opened it and I'm like, holy shit, I got like a freaking treasure trove of unopened Ring of Honor DVDs in here. And uh, I was thinking, man, if I actually wasn't so lazy, I would catalog these and see if anybody wanted to buy them or even talk at PWOFC if anybody wanted to take them off my hands. But that would involve. Yeah, I probably at some point I'm probably going to get off my ass and uh, catalog them and uh, and see if anybody's interested because it seems to me like I said they're not kidding they're in their original shrink wrap half of them aren't even open no so, so or the one it's just the ones that are open I watched once <laughs> like how can you have how can you literally have the Joe Punk trilogy how oh, can know, you have AJ Styles in his prime um, yeah I know I I wanted to watch the the Joe Punk trilogy at one point like in the last year or so and I and I looked at Honor Club. And I thought, hey, I'll sign up for this, whatever. They don't have it up yet. It's like, what the hell's wrong with you guys? Like, that's just stupid. Or even, like, the like, Dragon Gate, like, six yeah. fans and stuff. I know. It's just, like, it, it, you're supposedly, streaming is everywhere. Everybody's making money off this. You've got this massive library and you're not using it. You don't deserve to make money. You're just too stupid. Well, you know what, like it, you know what drives me nuts is, like, um, cheaper services like Chikaratopia yeah. literally had everything they'd ever done. Smart. I mean, if anybody understands the, the the modern wrestling scene and modern wrestling fans and the importance of streaming, how you could be have that. I mean, I'm sure it'll probably cost them a few bucks to convert it or whatever and, and make it make it you know available. But I, I you got to think they'd make their money back then some. So I don't know. It's just yeah. yeah that's really frustrating. That is really it frustrating. Really. So I I want to do one more topic before we head off for this evening. Sure. Um, so let's talk. Let's talk a couple of your favorite wrestlers. Yeah. So I, I would uh, say Mizawa's probably out there because we we discussed him. Yeah. Did you vote in in the in the GWE poll? No, because they that you know for that it was just too big of a it was too big of a. You had to jump through a lot of hoops to do it. <laughs> we had to jump through a lot of hoops, and I didn't feel like I. I, the, I I participated more in the the big match thing, but I think I was having some health problems at the time. Ah. But um, but it was yeah, too I, big. There were too many variables, and I didn't feel yeah. like I could make an educated enough list. And like for me, like I could do like my top like twenty really well, but then like yeah. say like thirty to sixty five just for this jumbled mess, and I didn't know how I'd ever like. Yeah, I went back and looked at it again, my list, the other day. And actually, really, honestly, um, I I, uh, I can tell you that my opinion has changed on a few. Uh, I would say probably my number one favorite is is Masawa, for sure. Um, just based on one thing, just the volume alone. Like, if you look at the number of, like, uh, five-star matches that guy had throughout the course of his career, I mean, there's just the, 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 the volume of work there is so strong that I can't really... Uh, I can't really uh, find an argument against that. Plus, I, I really like the way he conducted himself. Like he was very classy, just a very like he he was very uh, brought like legitimacy to the way he, he acted, like to the way he portrayed himself. So for me, that was a huge thing. Like just his overall appeal uh, was uh, technical ability. Like just uh, to me, I, I I find it hard having an argument against him. Uh, the other one would probably be Terry Funk. 
um, for a variety of reasons, just that he's good at so many different things. Like the, uh, you know, he could do heel grade, he could do face and peril stuff, he could do tag team, he could do technical wrestling, he could do hardcore, I mean, he could do comedy, he just, he, he kind of ticked all the boxes and stuff like that, and the longevity of his career and that, so, I mean, I honestly, uh, I can't honestly tell you that, uh, I, he, he was close to making number one on my list for sure, uh, but I didn't end up, uh, didn't end up picking him, um, and I, you know, I mean, I, it's funny, because, I mean, I know Flair won, and a lot of people were like, you know, that he's a goat, and I, I can see the argument for sure. But uh, he's, and I, I respect his work, but I, he's not my, not my pick. No, for sure. I think, I think, I think where Flair would probably took that though is if Flair's not your number one, he's at least your number three. Yeah, he made my he made my top five. I don't remember where where it was, um, but. Uh, I don't remember where he placed, but he was he was on there. But see, for sure. but see, my my opinion's too fluid too because like I might get on a kick and I'm very influenced by what I'm into at the moment. So like, yeah. So like, Flair will always be high, but like someone like Nick Bockwinkle, who I have like a lot of, I have a lot of regard for. Like if I if I happen to see like a bunch of his promos or something, he might jump like ten spots like for a yeah, couple months. Yeah. And where I made a mistake was, uh, I think it, with the GWE thing. Is that I, I did study some footage and stuff, but I, I didn't uh, I didn't really look at the amount that I that I could have or that I should have. I didn't devote the amount of time. And I think that if I did look into some of those older ones, that I probably would have I probably would have would have done better. I probably would have like that would have changed my rankings for sure. And I think where I where I fell apart, like I didn't get a chance to look at the world of sports stuff as much as I would have liked to. Yeah. Um, because that that style appeals to me. But then and the flip side is. I know for sure I didn't like I didn't even rank any any lucha guys because that's just not I don't enjoy that all that much to be honest with you. I love like lucha. I respect it. I respect it. Like I don't dislike it. Um, as far as like I don't like I think it's a legitimate thing. It's just that I like all the trios matches and stuff. I, I don't generally follow them as closely. Like I just found them a little confusing. Uh, and it just wasn't my didn't so. I felt kind of bad because I don't think I ranked any of those guys and stuff. So if you're talking about like who do I think is the best as opposed to who who are my favorites, I mean I think like I said, Flair would be pretty high when it's who do I think is the best. But as far as my favorites, would probably be, probably be Funk and uh, and Misawa. And, uh, and that would probably be it really. For me, like the GWE, like even like it, my list wouldn't look at even the same because like between when that happened and now, like I've watched a massive amount of Joshi. So like, I actually right, have like right. opinions. That's, that's another thing. I don't have any exposure to that. So. It's um. I feel bad about. That. I think you would. I think you would really like 1980s Joshi. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good stuff. Because you got like you got like, a lot of big stuff. colorful heels and kind of like your white bread baby faces taking them on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Uh... That's one of the things that if I ever if I ever get around to it, I'll probably look into it a bit more. I've seen some, like I shouldn't say I've never seen any, but I've, I've very little. Like I said, at one point or another, I think I probably ordered a comp comp of just about every different organization or style or person back in the '90s of uh, of every different when I was trying to get into all the different stuff and figure out what I liked. So I, I think I got a, a, a there was a guy his name was Chris Coey, and he ran a website called Air Raid Crash, and he was totally into the the Joshi stuff oh, and he recommended some trash. stuff. Yeah. yeah. He was a controversial guy cause he was extremely abrasive. 
like he was really uh, he was really abusive to people yeah. <laughs> that posted in his board. He was really uh, he was really quite a, he was a character. He got banned on, like practically every other board that he ever posted because if you didn't agree with him, he was like just cut you out and stuff. You know but, that's uh, something he I, knew was. I should do. Sorry, go ahead. I want to do a retrospective. I think on the show at some point of like all the people I've seen like go insane on message boards over, <laughs> especially P- I'd probably make the list. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is I was thinking, I think PWOs had the most meltdowns I've ever seen in one place in my life. Yeah. 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 I've, I've been as guilty as the next guy. And sometimes like I get, I don't do it much anymore, uh, but I, I, I've gotten in my fair share of ridiculous arguments where you kind of sit back and you're like, what the hell am I doing? Cause I want to like, <laughs> I want to like, I want to do like a, the saga of Parv or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's uh, there's a few guys like that, but uh, yeah. It's, but anyways, no, Koei was, uh, he was, uh, he was really into the Joshi and stuff and he recommended some stuff that I checked out. So, yeah, but or, I just, uh, that was his whole thing, right? We've got, we, we also, well, I wonder if he's out of jail yet. We just talked about, we didn't talk about him on air. We talked about afterwards, but, uh, Genghis oh, and his, um, yeah. his, uh, yeah. What should we say? His proclivities. Yeah, I was, uh, he was an admin at the pit message board. And, uh, and so was I, like I actually, at one point I owned a piece of that board, uh, like I was paying for the server costs and stuff. So I knew him pretty well. Yeah. There, uh, bef- there was before. some, there was some DMS to loss and be like, Hey, um, just so you know, he got arrested and you might want to ban him now. Yeah. Yeah. And lost like, Oh, they told me already. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Just so you know, it's. That's unfortunate. I mean, I never really, honestly, and I'm not saying this, you know, everybody always says this after somebody that you know gets in trouble, but I never really, like, if you look at PWO, if you look hard enough, especially in the GWE stuff, there's a thread in the GWE forum at PWO about Chris Benoit, and he and I go at it for, like, four pages. <laughs> so it's it's on the record. He and I never really got along, and that's long before I, I knew that he had, a you know, a, an unsavory uh personal history and stuff but i think uh, you know what you know what he you know what he he reminds me of a certain type of of poster that i've i've encountered a lot is the um kind of when you're all in your like 20s you're kind of like all in the same spot in life and you're trying to figure it out yeah and then a lot of you you know start getting jobs you start getting married you start having success and you're still on the boards but like it's different but you have those couple of guys that kind of lag behind and i think they all kind of like go crazy because they like yeah, yeah. they they see the gap and I think I think if they would just be more patient that gap closes the older you get if you just like actually try but like I think with some posters like they get in this weird like they have to control like whatever little bit of their life they can and that really comes out in a toxic manner on message boards just because I think they start becoming self-conscious that Hey, like all these guys that were my peers five years ago are married and have jobs and like are buying houses and stuff, and I'm still in my parents' basement. And I think that yeah, really yeah. leads to like some toxic behavior. You're you're right. It would make actually quite a fascinating discussion because I mean I've been like literally. I first started posting in 1999 on the uh, Delphi forums that were attached to Ransylvania Scott Kiesel board, and I've been consistently member at all these offshoot boards ever since then and yeah there's been some interesting people and uh and you you obviously observe all sorts of behavior and listen i'm not gonna lie 
uh, I've been in, like I've been the worst offender of all at forgetting in uh, in arguments with people. I mean, loss has uh, Charles has had to kind of message me a couple times and say, "Listen, would you lay off?" <laughs> you know, with the with the arguing and stuff like that, and uh, and that's uh, I've I've really over the last few years, like I'd say over the last like even the last ten years, I I really haven't done that much. Uh, because it's just like it's just not as important to me anymore, and also uh, it just gets like it's like this like I, I you and I were talking before you started recording that like there's been a couple guys there that it's just the same argument over and over again. It's just like you know you feel this way about this and I feel this way about it, and we're just going to go around and around in circles. And it's like after a while you just get tired of having the same argument. But with with Jengis, he was just the thing that used to get under my skin is he was really into the into the straw man arguments. Like he would you know oh yeah, tr- and it was just like I was like oh my god. He was like he was. He was one of those guys. He was that, irate that I won't law in the GWA. He was one of those guys that um. And I think we all fall into that mentality, but he was really bad about it. Is he thought he was way smarter than he really was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean he was always bringing up his the fact that he's worked as a manager in an indie fed and had done play by play in an indie fed and stuff like that. It was just like oh okay you win. <laughs> yeah, but that's but what's, but what's yeah. funny though with when he does that in PWO is there's guys that there are guys on PWO that worked in like legitimately like decent sized companies like I think um oh yeah wasn't isn't Jeff Farmer on there? Yep. And yeah. um, there's someone yeah. else who there's someone so he there was someone else on there too that's that worked in. I think he. Well, yeah, you and I had talked about at the beginning uh, that you're going to find. Trust me, no matter how much you think you know, there's somebody on there that knows more than you. Yeah, but like he would do that, and I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> it's like Jingus. Like, there's a guy here yeah. that talks about when he worked in Puerto Rico as a wrestler. Like, I'm pretty sure yeah. that's oh, yeah, like. Yeah. Oh, who's the and other? There's one? guys on there that live in that live in Japan and have friends in the industry and yeah. stuff like that. So, this is like I. There are very few things that I will argue about on there that I know more than other people. Like I'm, I'm willing to concede that like there's lots, lots of stuff I don't know. Very rarely will I, will I take a stand like a militant stand and say, no, I know about this and you don't know what I do. And, and there are a couple issues like that. I will, but very rarely because it's just, it's, it's, it's inevitable. If you take that kind of stance with somebody, you're automatically, it's, it's fate. You're going to meet somebody that does know more than you and yeah. you're going to end up looking like a jerk. No, I mean, just to, just to tell you, like, with, with PWO... What's happened to me? Yeah, like, but with PWO, like, I'll be honest, like, the only discussion on there that I actually feel safe, like, kind of puffing my chest out a, a little bit about is the comic and manga yeah. discussion thread. That's the only time I feel kind of sure. safe puffing yeah. my chest out a little bit. Yeah. Just to tell you, that's, that's like, the knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I... I... Well, hey, listen, I mean, that's... Uh, I was a comic collector for years and years and years. I just, I got out of it, but... Uh... Because I got married, my wife wouldn't let me do it anymore. But uh, it's just, um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it you know, if you, like, I, it, with me, like, you know, when it, I get into the psychological aspects of it and stuff, because I have a history working in the mental health field and stuff. Uh, so when people get into like become psychoanalyzing stuff, uh, you know, like that's when I'll like say, okay, no, I actually have experience in this field, and I, I've worked in with with criminals, and I've worked in the mental health field, so I do know what I'm talking about here. But it's other than that, I mean, I can't speak intelligently to what it's like to live in Japan, or I can't speak intelligently what it's about to, you know, to work for an actual organization or whatever. I don't know all that, and so it, uh, 
And once you get to be my age, you start to realize the more that you think you know, the more you don't know. So it's it's not a good idea to walk around acting like you're like you're so smart because it's just generally, like I said, that's an invitation to fate to introduce you to somebody that does know more than you do, and then you end up feeling like an idiot. Yeah, I often so, tell I t- I've um I can make myself feel like an idiot. I don't need somebody to do it on a message board. Yeah, I, I often tell my younger niece. I told her, you know. When I finally figured out, like, I had gotten there as an adult was when I was about in my early 30s, and I realized I didn't know a fucking thing. And then I realized yeah, I had attained yeah. wisdom. Yep. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It's, uh, you'd love to go back and, and, you know, redo things from what you know now, but that's just part of life, right? You, yeah. you learn stuff as you get older. Yeah. The ultimate irony is a lot of the stuff you learn, you learn it too late, but... <laughs> Well, well, Mr. Threadkiller, I am really glad you came on. It has been great to actually get a talk to you. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, absolutely. That is all absolutely. for this week. I really week. appreciate it. Um, and like I said, thank you for coming on. And this has been uh, a Four Corners podcast dark match.